Welcome to the Building Community Podcast, a show for thought leaders like you. You know that success depends on relationships between your organization and the people in and around it. This season will focus on insider insights, where experts will let you in on their best practices in a specific area of community building. Together, we shine the light on how community helps you reach your corporate goals. I'm your host, Timona Pacha, and I've been empowering organizations for a decade and a half doing exactly that. Ready for it? Listen in as we set out to make communities thrive. We follow those who fight for us, and we show allegiance to those who advocate for us. And that is exactly why organizations need to put more focus on designing experiences for their team members. Today's expert is John Pico. He's the founder and principal at Watermark Consulting. John works with companies who want to impress their customers and inspire their employees so they can encourage loyalty and cultivate engagement. Interested in John and his work? Find out more in the show notes. The power balance is shifting away, away from our companies and into the hands of our teams. We know that for many, many years, people have faced low salaries and exhausting commutes. They faced long hours unchallenging work oftentimes, and we also saw bad treatment for our team members. Then they started to resist. They went on strikes and they began to quit in record numbers. And today, organizations are reacting with pay raises, remote work opportunities, leadership development, and other improvements. The big question is, what is it that they really need and what is it that really makes a difference in the employee experience? Welcome to the show, John. It's great to be here, Simone. John. What is it that employees expect today of organizations, of the environment that they face in an organization? I think quite simply, employees want to work for an organization that enriches them rather than exploits them. And by enrich, I don't just mean in terms of the compensation they earn, though that's obviously important. There are basic needs getting paid a livable wage, working in a safe and respectful work environment. But then there are more advanced needs that they have, things like feeling a sense of purpose in the work that I do, feeling a sense of community in my organization, receiving coaching to help advance my skills, my profession, my career, and of course, just being surrounded by a supportive and appealing culture. I think those are all things that employees expect. And as you noted in the introduction, I think all of those things are becoming increasingly important as the balance of power has shifted from employers to employees by virtue of the pandemic and the worker shortages that it created. What are the elements that organizations oftentimes overlook today when it comes to trying to build culture for team members that are appreciated and that are needed? Free lunches, foosball tables, ping pong tables and whatnot. I feel like too many organizations look to those perks as being the things that really create their culture. And I'm not going to say that they don't have any impact, but I think that the real levers that organizations have are what I like to call the backstage cues and constructs in an organization. And by backstage, I mean all of the things that your customers will never see. Things like uh, how you select and hire people, how you onboard and train them, how people are measured and rewarded, how they're treated by organizational leaders. I'll give your listeners an example that I think probably will resonate with everyone. If you think, for example, about a contact center environment, let's say that the organizational leaders tell the people in the contact center, hey, you know, our culture is all about customer centricity. But then 
If the primary thing that I am measured on as an agent in the contact center is how fast I answer calls as opposed to the reaction that I elicit from my customers, well, think about what kind of behavior that's going to promote. Think about what kind of culture that is going to cultivate. Certainly not a customer-centric culture. It's going to be a culture where it's all about productivity. How fast do I get through the call? How many calls do I take during the day? So that's why I think that what many companies overlook is that there are all of these dials and levers within the organization that leaders have their hands on and can adjust to help create an environment that points people in the right direction and really aligns their behaviors with the kind of experience that you want to create, not just for your employees, but for your customers as well. Yeah. So it means that organizations actually have to live their values, not just have them written on a website. What concept? (laughs) (laughs) No, right? (laughs) Yeah, but you're right. I mean, this it talk is really cheap in this regard. You know, employees do not respond to the proclamations that leaders make. What they respond to are the tangible proof points that help them to see, okay, this is an organization that's actually walking the talk. Yeah, it's about authenticity and also about transparency. So oftentimes I see that team members are very forgiving if the organizations actually admit to mistakes that they're making and admit to saying, look, we aren't there yet, but we're trying to do our very, very best. These are the steps that we're working on right now to create this experience within the organization that is good for you and that we want to actually model to the outside world, not just talk about it, but also model and, and have for ourselves here. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So you just brought in the example of how we're treating our customers. Where are the commonalities between customer experience and employee experience? And why should leaders view their team members as internal customers? Yeah, what I've found is that what it takes to foster engagement between a leader and an employee is not all that different than what it takes to foster engagement between a company and a customer. Things like, are you responsive to me? Do you communicate clearly and transparently with me? Are you genuinely advocating for my interests? Do I feel better after I have interacted with you as compared to before? And so the techniques that beloved legendary companies use to foster loyalty and engagement with their customers can actually be applied to great effect with employees. Techniques that companies like Disney or Costco or Southwest Airlines or Ritz-Carlton use to foster engagement and loyalty with customers, any leader can apply those same techniques to create loyalty and engagement among an employee audience. And as you noted, I think this is not the domain of human resources. This comes down to every individual, every leader in the organization to show the workforce what right looks like. Show your employees by virtue of how you interact with them what it means to be responsive, what it means to make things effortless for people, what it means to advocate for your interests, what it means to remove fear from the interaction and stir positive emotion. Those are all things that leaders can do in their interactions with employees in the workplace. And no surprise here, your employees are going to model your behavior. They're going to look at how you interact with them and they're going to take their cue from that Mm -hmm. You were talking at the very beginning, John, that we need to have the basics in place. Once they have the must-haves, how do they get to the good-to-haves where we go above and beyond to actually not only create happy employees, but to create raving fans, not only while they're with you, but also after they leave to go and pursue other opportunities, 
so that they can remain brand ambassadors. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that how people remember their experience with a leader or with an employer is actually as important as the experience itself. Because it's when people reflect back on what they remember about their interactions in the workplace, it's really those reflections that are going to drive their future behavior. It influences whether they would recommend that others apply for employment at that company. So customer experience is an exercise in memory making. And the same, I would argue, is true in employee experience. People remember their experiences as a series of snapshots. The way our brain works, we remember the peaks in the experience and the valleys the really positive points and the really negative points. And I would imagine that your listeners, if they think back to leaders that they've worked for, organizations they've worked in, their overall impressions are actually shaped by just a handful of snapshot memories. You know, maybe that time when your boss stood up for you, you know, when others were criticizing you or your boss did something really surprising to help advance your career. You know, what leaders need to do is make sure they are engineering employee experiences that don't just meet the basics, but also deliver something a little unexpected, a little surprising, a little impressive, because that's how you're going to create those snapshot memories that people are going to walk away with. And it's really the small things that have the biggest impact. I remember my very first boss, and I think it was my very first week of work. He had my back and I still tell this story today when somebody asks me who was the best manager I ever had. And that was literally over 20 years ago because I made a mistake. It was terrible, but I didn't know any better. We lost data and he stood up for me. He's like, okay, this is what happened. Now we're going to figure out a way to deal with it. And no matter what came afterwards, I knew that he was a person that has his team members' backs no matter what. It's like those little moments where you actually live your values, where you don't just talk about them, but you live them. It's so funny that you use that example because I have like the exact same one from my career, my first corporate job. And I was so fortunate to have landed working for a boss who was really great. And and my memory that sticks out, and I, like you, tell this story to this day, is I was actually getting bullied by an executive in another area who was just sort of, you know, saying really negative things to me and whatnot. And my boss called his boss and basically, you know, they got rid of him. They moved him to another position out of the building because I guess he had issues with other people as well. But anyway, I looked at that and I was like, you know what? I will walk through walls for that boss that I had. I mean, that's we follow those who fight for us and we show allegiance to those who advocate for us. And so when you get a boss, a leader who demonstrates that kind of behavior and stands up for you, has your back, I mean, you want to talk about how to motivate people in the workplace? There is no better way. And what is most important and what I often see is that the wonderful bosses also have a way of celebrating you when you're on your way out of an organization. They don't hold on to you. They have the best interest for you in mind. They often help you find other positions where your career trajectory can keep moving up. And they actually celebrate you on the way out. And this has to do with what you mentioned earlier, this finishing strong. People remember the peaks, but also they remember what happens at the very end. It sticks in our memory and it's an experience that if a boss, you tell them, look, I have an opportunity elsewhere. I'm trying to leave. And then they celebrate you rather than get disappointed and think of you as a, and I'm making the air quotes now, as a traitor. Right. Yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, it makes a huge difference. And as you know, there is this, this 
experience design principle, finishing strong, which refers to this dynamic that the last thing that happens to us in an experience uh, exerts a disproportionate influence over our impressions and memory of that experience. So when you separate from a leader or from an organization, you could argue that is a really important interaction point because since it comes at the end of your whole experience with that organization or that leader, it's going to color your overall views in a very significant way. And so when you describe these leaders who don't grouse when you tell them, hey, I'm moving on to another position, when instead they congratulate you, they, they genuinely celebrate you and encourage you, that leaves an indelible impression. It leaves one of those peaks that happens at the end. And that's when you speak highly of that leader and you recommend that others should go work for that organization or that leader. So yeah, that makes a really huge difference to, to make sure you end on a high note. And also when we're talking about the end, this is something that I speak with often with some of my clients is the end with an organization is when a paycheck ends, but that's not the end where the relationship with the organization ends. So for me, team members are internal and external employees because internal in a sense that they're currently with the organization and external is they're currently elsewhere. This is a really important point and it's where many organizations go wrong is they have too narrow a view of what really constitutes both their customer experience and their employee experience. So, you know, for example, with customers, if a customer ever defects from your business, Many people think, oh, well, you know, they're leaving. So that's it. You know, good luck. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. But in truth, I would say that point of defection deserves to be managed as carefully and intentionally as any other touch point in your customer life cycle. It's an opportunity to at least leave people with a somewhat positive final impression. And the same applies in the employee experience. People think too parochially about where does the experience begin and end? Now, you mentioned, you know, the point of separation. And I think just like the point of defection with a customer, many organizations look at, okay, the employee gives their notice and, you know, that's it. We wash our hands of them. We're done. You know, why invest any more time in thinking about that employee because they're on their way out? But yet there's a lot to be gained by making sure that that transition as they leave the organization is smooth and is as pleasant as possible. I know that you would appreciate this given your line of work in terms of creating alumni networks, but to show employees that their affiliation with the employer doesn't have to end when they give their notice. To show them that, hey, you know what? You're still part of a community, a community that you can leverage and tap into for your own benefit, a community that you can give back to by providing advice and counsel to others who follow in your footsteps. People like to be part of something that's bigger than themselves. People like to feel like they're part of a community. And emotion is a really important part of shaping people's experiences, customers or employees. And so if you make them feel good on the way out of the organization, if you make them feel valued, make them feel like they're still part of that community, you can get a lot of mileage out of that. There's a, a lot of value in that. And there's additional touch points where we can create those experiences for those people out there who may consider wanting to become employment candidates, who are looking at our organization to think, hey, they have good values. I hear good things about them. Maybe I'm interested in joining them. Where do we actually start creating those experiences for our team members? Yes, the customer experience begins before anyone's even a customer. 
And the employee experience begins before anyone's even an employee. The experience, the, the, the brand experience, whether you're an employee or a customer, it begins from the first moment you hear about a company. Maybe you see a post about it on social media. Maybe a friend or a colleague says something in passing about it. Right then and there, the experience has begun because you're starting to form impressions based on the information that, that you are gathering. And so just as we were talking about a moment ago, in terms of when employees leave, that you shouldn't view that the experience ends there, you need to understand that the experience begins before people are hired. And I strongly encourage companies to invest and focus on their employment candidate experience because you have a tremendous opportunity there to show people what you're made of, to show them, here's how you can expect to be treated when you're an employee in our organization because that's how we're going to treat you when you're a candidate, a job seeker. And I think there's tremendous opportunity to differentiate oneself in this regard. You know, I hear about companies that complain, we can't find good people, can't get good people to join us. Well, you know what? I'd argue that a big part of the problem are the companies themselves and how they structure and how they interact with job candidates. The way it works right now, I'm not surprised that a lot of people wouldn't want to work with them. So yeah, candidate experience is a really important part of the puzzle. And when you're talking about crafting those experiences for candidates, to me, oftentimes those organizations that are really attractive where people actually want to work, who don't have to find talent, but where talent finds them, those are the organizations who have built employee communities, who bring together current and former team members, who are trying to build relationships for life and who live their values, not just write them on a website. They're truly employee-centric. But the million dollar question here, John, is what is it that makes an organization really employee centric? I think what's key to become employee centric is you need to keep front and center this notion of what does it feel like to be our employee? And before we make any kind of decision or business change, stepping back and just considering what kind of impact is this going to have on our employees? How are they going to feel about it? I'm not going to be so naive as to suggest that every business decision that you make is going to be one that's going to turn your employees into raving lifelong fans. You know, the fact of the matter is when you're a leader in the organization, sometimes you need to make tough, unpopular decisions. But my point is that if you step back and just consider before you act how that decision, how that action is going to affect your employees, then you've got an opportunity to sort of steer your direction in a way that might be a little more conducive to creating a better employee experience. And so even if it's an unpopular decision that you're making, thinking about how you communicate that decision to your employees, how you sit down and explain to them the rationale for a decision that was a tough one to make, that they might not be happy with. But I'll tell you, you know, nine times out of 10, in my experience, if employees see that the boss is sitting down and at least taking time to acknowledge their concerns, explain to them why I'm making the decision that I am, you might not turn them into raving fans, but you might keep them from being toxic detractors, you know, spreading negative word of mouth. And one last example I'll give you just to illustrate to people that sometimes the smallest things can actually help foster and cement engagement with employees. There was this really interesting study that was done by the University of Kansas. They found that doctors who went into patients' rooms and just sat down when they spoke to them, patients said that they were much more satisfied with those doctors than those who merely stood up and spoke with the patients. 
And I think that there's an analog to this in the business world. If you just sit down with the employee, even if the University of Kansas study showed that doctors who sat down didn't necessarily spend more time in the room, it was just from a perception standpoint, people thought, wow, they're spending time with me. They're totally vested in me. They're completely focused on me. Well, if you as a leader do that when you chat with your employees, to me, that's an example of one way to foster engagement just by taking a seat and showing employees that you are completely focused on them and they've got your undivided attention. Far, far, far from the times when I went to university, everybody was talking about multitasking. Today, we know that's not the best way to go about it. Focus on the people that you're with, deep listen, and give them your full attention. And and I would also add, we talked about modeling the right behaviors. So again, leaders have an opportunity to model behavior by giving their own employees their undivided attention. Yeah, I feel the same is true about hierarchies. The more hierarchies we have, the more difficult it gets in organizations because the focus on people, the employee-centric vibe, the culture of an organization, everybody needs to live it. We look at quick fixes and we're like, okay, let's start a project. Let's throw it over to HR. They're going to change our culture and they're going to have an impact now. But in reality, in an organization, everybody is involved in shaping these experiences and also in delivering them. Yeah, I think it's a critical point. It's so easy, right? But when you look, for example, at just the impact that the individual manager has on the culture and the the overall employee experience, that's not something HR can necessarily help with. Um, You know, I like to quote this really neat statistic. It was presented a few years back at the American Psychology Association annual conference And a researcher found that 70% of working adults said that the most stressful part of their job was, drum roll please, their immediate boss. And so when you look at a stat like that, I would argue, you know, it almost doesn't matter to some degree, all of the macro things that human resources does to shape the employee experience. If that manager, if that immediate boss doesn't feel vested in that same endeavor, Well, then forget it. The game's up and you're never going to get to where you want to be. The big question is, how do you actually build employee experience strategically? How do you actually go about, in parentheses now, air quotes, dictating this so it feels authentic and sincere? I think it comes down to tangible proof points. It comes down to making sure that the workforce sees that this whole employee experience focus is not just corporate window dressing. It's not just good annual report copy. They see instead that executives, that leaders are taking tangible, albeit maybe incremental steps to remove the boulders that stand before me as an employee that thwart my best efforts to reach my potential, to do the best I can in my job, to deliver a great experience to my company's customers. And so when they see that the organization as a whole and individual managers are taking clear, tangible steps to that end, then what I think you do is you start to build credibility. And this is the value of incremental advances. Many organizations overlook the significance of even small moves that help advance the quality of the employee experience. Because what those small moves do is it might not fundamentally change the tenor of the employee experience, 
but it shows people you're serious about this. It shows people you're investing time and effort in focusing on improving the employee experience. And the moment you do that, it starts to build credibility. And credibility is your friend. Because with an endeavor like this, which is not going to be completed overnight, I mean, in truth, it's never completed, you want to get allies on your side in the workforce. And the way to do that is to make sure that they see it as a credible endeavor. And you accomplish that with those tangible proof points. Yeah. And it's truly the small steps that count. It's not the big leaps that you take as an organization. It's what cements your your trustworthiness, what cements actually that relationship. You were mentioning that there is an investment of time and effort. And obviously, if an organization invests in time and effort, they also need to invest financially. So the big question is when we're looking at our balance sheets, how do those positive experiences reflect on our numbers at the end of the year, at the end of the week, at the end of the month? Well, the fact is there have been studies that have looked at this and they've come back and confirmed that there is an ROI. Glassdoor put out a best places to work list and they found that the companies at the top of that list outperformed the broader stock market, while those at the bottom of the list lagged the market. Interesting takeaway, right? A second often cited study that I've seen is from the Gallup organization. They found that organizations that were in the top quartile of employee engagement had lower absenteeism as well as turnover, as well as significantly better productivity, customer satisfaction, and profitability. So if anybody's looking for tangible, quantifiable proof that employee experience delivers returns, the data is out there. But if I just have to appeal to your emotions for a moment, okay, you know, just think of it this way. If your employees are miserable, what's going to happen to them? They're going to leave. And I don't think there's anybody out there that would argue that turnover has a cost to the organization. Typically, I see that the estimate is about two and a half times an employee's salary that turnover costs the company in terms of investing and hiring somebody else, training them, onboarding them, lost productivity. So even if you just reduce your turnover by a small percentage, you have immediately got a return there. But then secondarily, if you've got employees that hate working for your organization, Do you think they're going to refer other people to you? Absolutely not. So it's going to become tougher for you to acquire new talent. And so you're going to have to invest even more in trying to market yourself and get word out there to try to you know, persuade people to come and and apply for jobs. If you have miserable employees, I guarantee you that misery is going to bleed into the experience they deliver to your customers. And this is something that's been shown too, that there is a link, a connection between how happy employees are and how happy customers are. Happy, satisfied employees help to create more happy, satisfied customers who in turn help to create more happy, satisfied employees. My own firm has looked at it and found that companies that outperform in customer experience actually deliver shareholder returns that are over three times greater than those that lag in customer experience. So these are just among the reasons why there is this tremendous return on quality of employee experience, because it's not just about the economics of employees, it also becomes the economics of customer relationships as well. This is about human nature in general. If I'm miserable at work, I'm taking the misery back home and my family is going to feel that as well. (laughs) Why should our customers who I engage with during the day then not feel that misery that I have at work? I mean, it's human nature, I think. Yes, you're right. (laughs) It is. 
So can an organization, John, be too employee focused? Is there like a fine line that organizations should be aware to not cross? I guess the first thing I would say is, I don't think there's a really big risk in in the marketplace right now with companies being too employee focused. I think the vast majority of companies are not employee focused enough. But with that said, you know, theoretically, could you over-rotate on employee experience in a way that would be detrimental to your organization? I think that, yes, you could. When you start to maybe cater to employee needs, but at the same time begin to disregard customer needs, because employees and customers are two very important constituencies that play an instrumental role in the success of your business. And you have to balance both of their interests. So if you start to do things that are employee-friendly, but are decidedly customer-unfriendly, then I would say, yes, it's possible that you could be too employee-centric. And the example that I would give you uh, is something like uh, the four-day work week, which a number of companies have begun to toy with. Let's assume that you are in a business where your customers have an essential need to have access to you and your people during normal business hours. If you were to shift to a four-day work week, I would argue that might be shifting your focus in a slightly inappropriate way. Because in essence, what you're doing is you're making a decision that absolutely is employee-friendly, but it contradicts a basic need that your customers have. But again, I just want to reiterate, I don't think that's a real risk for many organizations. My advice for most companies would be, you're probably not as employee-centric as you think you are. And that's something that you need to focus on more in the future. Yeah. So also when it comes to employee experience, it's the 360 view. Not only have silo thinking, but look at everything that could be involved and that could be touched by whatever you change in one area of your business. With that, John... Thank you so very much for joining us today on the show. Thanks. It was really good to be here with you. Thank you for listening to the Building Community Podcast. Is there a leader in your organization or network who needs to hear this? Please share this podcast with them. Help get the word out about the immense value of community. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave us a review. Until next time, help your communities thrive.